Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Everyone, thanks for listening to the Western Hunting Up podcast. This episode, I'm recapping my uh, and dad's elk hunt in Colorado. This was an over-the-counter archery elk hunt, and uh, one you've, if you've been listening, you definitely know we were on, and it was a great hunt. Uh, dad and I didn't come up with anything coming home with us, but it was a really great hunt and I got uh, a few things learned. So here's, uh, an episode just really on, uh, me kind of sharing each one of those interactions with elk that we had some, some things that we learned. And this is my way of recording this. Um, obviously I'm physically recording this, but my way of writing this down or, or, or keeping these little tidbits that I learned, um, that's one advantage of having a podcast. It's just there. I can always have it and reference it on what worked, what didn't work. So if you don't have a podcast, which is most of you, uh, I would highly suggest keeping a little journal on some of these things. You always talk about it with, oh, keep a journal on where you duck hunted and how you, how many you got and all that sort of thing. But keeping some of these pieces as to how you called, how the elk interacted could really keep a pretty solid database for you on um, those different times of the year when you decide, do I want to be hunting early September, later September, mid-September, and what tactics do I need to be using? Because you're going to hear all these different ideas from podcasts and your own personal experience, and you try to put them into play, and sometimes they work, sometimes they don't, and you forget about uh, all those little things year to year. And some of them stick, and you you create a method that works for you. Uh, but man, if we could just store all these things and these ideas and you review them ahead of time, uh, and you remember, oh yeah, that time, that one, uh, I needed to just calf call and that brought him right in. Uh, that would be, um, a really great resource to, to look back on. So before we do that, uh, funny story. Uh, if you recall, we had Colorado Parks and Wildlife on, on the wolf update and, uh, their communications folks insured me, assured me, uh, that they were going to get wolves. And funny thing is 
they don't have them and they still don't have them. They still don't even have a clue where they're going to get them. And like we said, uh, it's not going to happen. They don't, they're not going to get them in time. Um, and which is weird. It's, it's interesting to see what's going to happen with this. I know nothing's going to happen, but legally they were supposed to have these wolves reintroduced by November and Wyoming shut them down. Montana now has officially shut them down. Um, and, uh, they're getting some big nose there. And so now they're moving on to other plans and if that's Oregon and Washington which hopefully they say no uh and I think Utah is going to say no as well but they they just don't have a place to get these and I don't know if that is lack of planning on Colorado Parks and Wildlife's part or if that was by design as in you can tell if you watch some of these things some of these uh Colorado Parks and Wildlife staff don't really want to do some of these things. And now they have some of the staff that are specific for this. And I'm sure they're gung ho and ready to do this job. But when this originally became a thing, I can kind of tell in the voices as they're discussing some ridiculous things with some of the incompetent commissioners that they really didn't want to uh, be doing this. And they knew this was a task that almost couldn't be done and, and didn't need to be done period. So I don't even know if it's that or if, and they're just letting it kind of happen as horrible bucket biology or uh, not bucket biology, uh, ballot box biology is. Um, so I don't know what the, what the take is on that. So I don't want <clears throat> to jump to right to discrediting Colorado parks and wildlife, but uh, if it, maybe it's just the fact of what they're doing is kind of ridiculous. So anyway, they can't get wolves. And I think it's kind of funny. So we'll see what happens if they can ever track them down. And uh, hopefully these other states just say, no, this is dumb. You're not getting them. Next thing is uh, I'm headed to Hawaii in March, uh, February and March. And uh, I am excited about it. We're going there for my brother's wedding. And uh, we've got some... Um, no hunt lined up, which is a bummer, but just me and my wife are going with my family. The kids are staying at home and it'd be great to go chase some axis on Maui. Be awesome, but it's not going to happen. And on top of the, this once in a lifetime trip for us, uh, adding on another three, 4,000, 5,000 to shoot an axis, whatever it is, is probably not the best choice for, for me to do. Um, and I, and I know there's ways of doing that on public land and, and that sort of thing, but that would take far more than just a day or two to do. So I want to make sure I'm respecting my wife's time and we are there to just have fun together. So what I am looking forward to is some fishing, some quality, quality fishing, whether that's just a little snorkeling uh, on the beach by myself or with uh, just us two, uh, all the way to uh, getting a charter and doing some fishing that, that way. What I need help with is if anybody's got any great recommendations for said places to do any one of those, uh, some great snorkeling, um, not spearing, but just some three-pronging spearing, uh, send them my way. But also, more so, we need we need help with a charter. And if anyone's got a great way of finding a charter, I want to hear it because I've done an episode on this where finding a, the charters I've had have been fine, but 
they're there like just funneling through tourists that have never held a fishing pole before. And the last one I was on was in Rhode Island and they had a big, heavy, deep sea setup. And we were reeling in, I don't know what they are. I'm going to say 20, 30 pound stripers. I don't have a clue what they are, but not massive fish, but they're big fish. And you just got this heavy tackle where they know that you would not be breaking it off. So, and then they also had said that, oh, maybe we could be doing some casting for blues in this area. It's like, yeah, let's do that. Let's do some jigging, some casting. Like my wife and I are here. We can cast, we can do this. And we never did any of that. There was none of the, like anything that took any skill other than that typical old catching rock bass off the bottom where you got to try and catch some, some various ones. But my wife and I can fish. And so can my brothers. We all know are very competent people. We know how to fish. We just don't know the ocean stuff. So, so where, how do you, can you get on a charter that uh, gives you just a touch more responsibility than let me set the hook and here's the rod, sit in a chair, reel it in. Uh, that's what I don't know what to do. I'm going to contact some of my folks at Waypoint because I know there's a few charter captains that way. See how you can weed through them uh, other than just a good recommendation. And with uh, the fires there that have happened on Maui, uh, there's a lot of charters in that area, that town that are no longer, or um, they probably are no longer. So got to figure that out. So you got any good recommendations, things for me, that'd be great. Uh, Long intro, but one more thing. I don't really have sponsors for a reason. Uh, One, I don't, they don't, they're not knocking on the door too heavy. Uh, And also I just, I'm not hunting them down either. And, uh, but whenever I do find something really kind of cool, I do love to share that out. So my buddy Ryan sent over, uh, I bought it from him, but sent over one of the, the new hunt AZ t-shirts. So if you want a sweet new t-shirt, go on over to ihuntaz.com and grab you one of their new, uh, elk hunt AZ t-shirts. It's got the contour lines, the state pretty sweet i really like it and then also he sent me a little thing of armor shield from his buddy that owns that company uh pretty cool little disc things you put a little water on and cleaned your hands right up so i shot an antelope a week ago and uh used that on my hands and it, it cleaned things right up had to add a different uh add a little more moisture and clean them out after a little bit because they were bloody but those are kind of cool little white things that don't weigh anything so it might be a great way to shave off even more ounces uh by i know you gotta have some water but you could use dirty water uh so those were great and then they rinse really well that was kind of an impressive thing how well they rinsed and i know they got a little soap in there too to help break down that that blood that's in there all right so you're here to listen to this colorado 2023 over-the-counter public land what else can i add to it uh father son great colorado hunt my dad was the tag holder i had a bull uh not a bull tag a bear tag and that was just a just in case or uh um maybe we get to that later if things are going great but we didn't end up even doing anything with that i think i carried my gun for a couple hours it's fine uh, didn't need uh, the focus was the elk wanted to look for those and for some reason where we were there was no bear sign I had a really hard time finding any bear sign I always am finding tracks 
scat, anything. There's always something there, but man, this area is, there was nothing. It was kind of strange. So, uh, yeah, that was, that was not going to happen, but, um, it's trip almost got delayed. We, uh, were left South Dakota in the evening after dark and, and, uh, hadn't got out of South Dakota yet. And here comes a big six point bull walking across the road and my big, my brand new pickup almost smoked that thing. It wasn't like close, close, but you know, those things aren't getting out of the way that fast. Uh, that would have delayed things pretty close. And it's kind of a cool little start to the trip to see that nice big six point crossing, crossing the road. Uh, and then a poor swift Fox in Wyoming, uh, was, uh, fell to my bumper, but on, and when we got to Colorado, this was a day early. That was our whole plan was get there a day early, hike into where we were going to be and be ahead of some crowds. Crowds were going to be our concern. And I had heard from other folks in Colorado that, yeah, crowds were an issue. Illegal e-bikes were an issue going where they're not supposed to, uh, and just crowds everywhere. Where I was, was the least crowded year I've seen since I've been elk hunting. There was no competition. We had we had zero competition except for some, uh, a little bit of guide work in the area, then we didn't even end up hunting the same draws or anything. So it worked out just fine. I mean, it was We shared the ground, no big deal. But any of our other spots, there was nobody there. And it was kind of odd. But we also don't hunt the the dark timber, the beautiful tall mountains. We're hunting high desert, and it could be hot, it could be miserable, it can be um, just your mornings, evenings, and that's it. Uh, and you have to deal with some heat. But we're all hunting where the elk are, so that's it works out at times. It almost worked out this trip. So our whole plan, and I didn't even really write down my whole plan until after we got done. And as we were going, having these interactions, I was making notes on my phone as to what, what we did, what worked, um, and how that situation played out. So I could record this later on, but really realized that my whole plan was to locate elk before doing anything. And we don't hunt dark timber, thick timber, thick brush. So locating elk can be done fairly easy. We can see, um, may, and our eyesight is something in glassing is something that's used far more than, um, listening. The listening was a affirmation that they were around, but mainly just being able to see them. Also, another part of the plan was to keep calls to calf calls, um, when I wasn't sure what we had or where they were and then feed off of them. That's always been my thing. Always feed off of them and what they do or get close than cow call. Uh, so and then the last one, part of the goal of the whole deal was just keep the wind good. And I had really, really wanted to focus on that. I've had a lot of situations where the winds has shifted and I've just got busted. And this year, we almost went the whole trip without getting winded and busted. We had one scenario there that uh, didn't pan out the way we wanted. But um, again, like that mid-morning wind shifting, that's when it got us. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com.
Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com So the first day, not even his first day, but season isn't open yet. We hiked into some unknown territory. I've glassed this property for years and years from a distance and you can't get to it without going through a little area that's it's not comfortable i mean there's no direct trail going to these areas and i think maybe that could be a solution to to fighting some of these crowds is going further may or may not be a way to get some of these crowds uh dealt with but also because as you go into these that back country there's oftentimes a lot of trails that lead to those places so we left that trail fairly quick and and found some spots that are we got into that area it's just not an obvious route there's not a trail that you can see lots and lots of activity on so as we're heading up this trail not 20 minutes into the hike five point pole standing on the hillside the day before and so that's that's great we're not even hunting yet and we've already seen two elk in this this uh on this whole trip one in the wrong state but one in in our area so this was going to be good seemed kind of dumb at first to be hiking straight past that bull and going right into the country that we wanted to be hunting but i knew that was going to be good that whole back country where i wanted to get to uh i just have wanted to go in there for the longest time and and now we were so we were loaded for it we needed to just keep on going so we got to the point where I was getting a little concerned. Um, this was going to be a rough pack out and we were discussing and joking about it. Then trying to figure out our strategy for getting something out. Have we get, had we got something out and it was going to be tough. And I kind of just figured I'd grin and bear it and just do it. Um, it wouldn't be comfortable. And hopefully something happened in an evening so we could just be pulling some all-nighters. I had a variety of ideas on last minute. If I absolutely had to, uh, phone numbers I could call, ways of getting in there, anywhere from I know someone with a, know someone who knows someone with a helicopter, one of those long distant connections to a... Um, I know somebody that can drive into that area to, uh, a buddy or two that could come help pack out. So had a couple of those in the back of my mind thinking maybe if we got something down and it happened to be a big bowl that was just way too much weight and we had, and it was warm, then that would be a resort last resort. But, um, if we had to just be me, my buddy, Danny and my dad, uh, then we were going to we we're going to do it. Um, we just really had to decide what was a doable bull to chase. We saw a lot of elk that were far away and we didn't even talk about going after them because we knew how far that was and it just wasn't going to happen. Uh, I was pleased, however, with the shape that I was in. And I, like I said, in that episode with Danny before this hunt, <clears throat> that I didn't do a whole lot with 
um, a workout program. I just climb my hill and mile and a half high intensity workout, getting my heart rate up to 180 plus beats per minute and getting that heart rate going and sweating through and it, just trying to work those muscles, get my hip flexors and my, my glutes and everything strong and added weight up to that 80 pound in the last week. And the last few days took a break, but I was very pleased with, with how that turned out. And it doesn't happen very often. Most of the time you get in the mountains and you're like, man, I should have been in better shape. But this time I felt, felt pretty darn good about it. So that was great. The first morning of the sea, we hiked in there and, uh, got water, got, went to camp, listened to the bugles, checked a drawer too. Uh, and that was about it. Um, kind of seen where maybe some elk were, but didn't have a great plan for the morning. First, other than kind of where we wanted to go. Um, but yeah, cause we saw, I think we saw some elk, heard some elk, something like that. But anyway, we had a plan. And the first morning was it was just that we we kind of got to know a little bit of the ground, hiked down uh, an area uh, on a ridge and checked down in some draws and and uh, didn't see a whole lot there that nothing was was doable to be chasing. Um, but just like I'd said, in this country, you kind of got the mornings, you got the evenings, and that's about it. Especially for this was September second, opening day. And a lot of people are are not even deciding. Maybe that might be the pressure, lack of pressure, is that it was September 2nd and it had been pretty warm. We were probably pushing the mid-70s. Uh, I don't, you know, I actually don't even think it got that hot out just because we were up a little higher in elevation. Uh, and then also we got rain every day, every morning we had rain. That actually slowed us down on an opening day is just got right as we were waking up got a little downpour of rain and then we were ready to get going. But the, uh, that rain and that cloud cover every day was, was pretty nice. So it wouldn't, didn't get onto our first elk until the evening. And our first, uh, thing that worked was going, we checked a draw and it was probably three o'clock, pretty warm out yet. Uh, glass draw found a little elk and we knew he was a legal bull. We'd count, counted uh um what we thought was four points ended up not having four points but we thought he had four points and we jumped right down the draw we saw some boot prints going out to the end of the ridge and going somewhere else to check and i think that was the 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 out people with the outfitter and going down on some different private ground but we let them go do that and we're like well i mean no they're not down in this draw so let's dive down in here after this bull and middle of the day, he was feeding, walking around, almost walking kind of towards us had we dropped down right there. So we dropped down, um, gave that a few uh, cow calls, make it sound like we were out coming into the draw and uh, kind of set up. We were very patient, very patient with just some cow calls and nothing and nothing and nothing. And what we did was we just kept uh, jumping forward and forward and uh, kept cow calling here and there. We did bump some deer. I thought it was all over then, but it was just some deer. Wind was perfect. Uh, and we thought we'd just try and keep him interested. Nope. Never, never heard him. He never made a sound, nothing. And then, uh, up and over a couple little ridges in the draw, 
then uh, we see some elk and there was some cows and then there's a bull. And I just always see them just kind of moving off. It's like, where were they? They're always just kind of moving off onto the next little spot. Uh, they hadn't really spotted us because they didn't really act that alert. I had one cow looking at me. I had the decoy, uh, the stalker decoy, uh, not mounted on dad's bow, but I just had it. And I gave that little flick of the ear and she went back to feeding and then just kind of made her way up and over the hill. So I don't think they were all that alarmed, but they were just in their little path of what they were doing. So I'm not sure uh, what what went wrong there, but we couldn't really keep up with them. And we were about to kind of just call it for the night because it was from three o'clock on. I mean, it took us a long time, a few hours to to really get through that draw. We, we went slow and uh, we, the wind was good that whole time. Didn't ever have a response. We saw those one cows and we just kind of kept with those cows. And, oh, they moved off. Actually, we gave up on those and we we're going to climb up out of there. Uh, there's a little road in the bottom climbed up and sure enough, as we get to the top, we look over, sure, there he is. He's off in on private now, uh, hitting some brush, he feeding, really not interested in anything. And a cow called at him and didn't even look nothing that I was able to get glass on him. See, he's three by three. And in Colorado, it's gotta be a four by four or five inch brow tines, but those brow tines, they had to have been eight, nine inches long. So I thought, yeah, we got to get him closer he's it gets down to that brow time length shoot him let's let's go for it uh this was this was more about trying to trying to get on elk and and uh make something happen than than try and shoot a big elk it didn't matter how big an elk probably would have been better off shooting a small elk in that area <clears throat> but the uh that bull had no care and what was going on until I let off some really whiny cow calls. Something flipped in him. Like he went from feeding to I'm coming over right now. And he hightailed it down the draw and up. And that was the same draw that I just a couple hundred yards away. It ended into private. So I said, dad, we got to back up because we want him to come up and over this ridge so that if we shoot him, he's going to run more into private. Like we got to have, I do not want to deal with this landowner. I know who he is. Uh, I want to, I want to just, we got to make him die in public. I don't want to be dealing with that. So I, uh, we did that backed off and called and called and called. And he just never came. It's like, okay, let's just go take a peek and see where he's at. Peek over and sure enough, look down. He's 15 yards away, just feeding again. And now he's on public. And I know we could have killed him right there, uh, but I, I wanted to get him over. I know that he would have ran down the draw and died and had it most likely been on private. And it was just probably maybe a hundred yards away um, to private, something like that, but it, not far enough away that I felt good about shooting him there. Cause it, it just would have been a mess. And we needed to see him again to check those, the legalities of them to see if we can check, see those, those brow tines a little bit more pop back over and gave him the whiniest everything. And he just was not interested. And we started running out of light <clears throat> pop back over. And there he is. He's just doing the same thing. I didn't see him. I just heard him and he's just feeding and feeding. So ran out of light and left him alone. So the next day, uh, we woke up early 
found a nice draw that we we're gonna move to the other side too. And sure enough, there's elk bugling down in there, and we see two really nice bulls. Uh, one bull, one really nice bull. There ended up being two there, but there was one really nice bull, and he's bugling. He's got his nose down, and he's chasing and and uh, these cows and and moving elk. And it's September third. And it was really cool to see. And then I heard some bugles across the way. So there were some bulls in this big draw that had multiple multiple little finger draws to it. So the only way to really get to him, I guess we could have gone straight down into him, but had there been anything in between, we would have blown it up. So we decided we're going to go all the way around this huge bull, uh, which was mile and a half around, two miles, something like that. Uh, got all the way around that thing and tried to do that quick so that was early enough that they were still not in headed into the aspens in bed and in this kind of country it's it's a service berry um choke cherry kind of stuff and then you've got pockets in the north side northeast um north slopes that are are the dense cover where you got the aspen pockets in there and that's where they they all spend the day and you kind of glass those other uh brushier country in the mornings and evenings and hopefully you can pat see him moving from one of those groups of aspens to the next so we uh saw those elk made our big trek around and now we're on top of the draw the wind is still great wind was perfect it's moving up and uh we were going to be getting getting in close so as we start to drop down into there uh danny looks over at me and shakes his head he's, it's done so you just saw those bulls blow out the bottom. So off they go for whatever reason, uh, saw us. I don't I know they didn't smell us, but uh, it was done. So those two bulls, it was all over. And uh, that was kind of a, a, a bummer because I think that one could have worked out or we could have had another opportunity there. But then we look across and we start seeing elk pouring into this, this, uh, other draw that was below what where we initially were and we started okay let's just hang out here it's already 10 o'clock 9 30 something like that too late to make a play get over there make a play on them and so we needed to just let them go in there so okay they are going to go in there and they are not going to come out of there till the evening i don't guarantee it they're going to stay right in there so we just sat there for the longest time a couple hours three hours four i knew it was till noon or one something like that and we just counted elk that went in there three really nice bulls a few cows and uh um we went with that and decided let's wait and i'm really pleased that's something i'm not very good at is being patient uh but this this go around we were patient we thought let's do this right and maybe that's because i was hunting with other people when i'm alone it's a i see them i'm gonna go after them <laughs> so maybe that's part of the Part of his benefit of hunting with others is you can do things a little slower, a little more methodically, and have some good patience. About one o'clock or noon, Dad and I said, okay, let's go down in there and uh, get to the bottom of this draw, <clears throat> bust out that part of this hike, and uh, just kind of sneak in there. Just see what we hear. The wind's going to be okay. Got down in there, and sure enough, there's a cow not far from the bottom, uh, you know, up into that draw and she never saw us like, okay let's back off 
there's a cow right there. The last thing we need to do is blow the cows out of this whole thing, which blow the bulls out. And so we sat down and, and took an hour nap, two hour nap, uh, sat there and waited and waited and waited. And I think, Oh man, dad, I don't remember if the four o'clock, something like that. We waited to, uh, get up and and start making our approach on this draw and this draw was was a little tricky it had a big chunk at the bottom and a big chunk at the top of aspens but it was steep too and thick so i know that was going to be difficult to to make our way through but our plan was to do this really slow we knew there was elk in there we could see the top we could see the sides nothing came out of there we knew there was three bulls and a handful of cows so we got in there in the bottom and the wind was perfect. Uh, and we just made a few cow calls, real light cow calls, trying to ease our way in. Cause we had no idea where in these draws these elk were going to be, especially when we were surprised by, um, where those cows were. Um, we didn't know that there was going to be cows that low in that draw. So we knew there's three bulls. The first one showed up not too long into the the first thing we heard the some branches breaking something was coming down a steep hill and we heard antler and branches hitting as there he was walking through some steep stuff so that was a great sign and we thought we we're going to call him right in he never showed it was thick had to have been 75 yards at the most um never saw him and it, you go from that breaking branches and it sounds like they're coming closer to nothing to absolutely nothing. It just was gone. I had no idea where he went. So that's the first of the three bulls. After that, we decided, okay, I think we took 45 minutes or so to hunt him and we didn't move much more than 50 yards. Uh, But we decided maybe we got to be a little more aggressive. And I don't know if we could have on that one because of how thick that was. There's no way to get shooting lanes, no way to, uh, get up to him it would have been tough so we made our way up that steep stuff and there's lots of down timber um it's steep enough where i'm taking my dad's bow and he's just trying to get up over this stuff it was not not fun at all uh but we get up a little ways and uh, just 75 yards or so and we we uh and we're getting really into that evening time and we we do some cow calling again. And sure enough, we get some responses. Uh, I was sticking with the cow calls, but then he bugled. We had a, had a beautiful bugle. He had a uh, few chuckles. He, I thought we heard him rake a couple of times, but some glunking, some chuckles. It was awesome. We had a great experience and he was not far away. We kind of pulled him in. We thought we heard him coming and then he just kind of backed off. Maybe I thought we had him coming and he kind of backed off. And the thing that got me on that whole dang thing was, was we're going through all that brush. There's the hound's tongue stickers. And then there's these other ones that are smaller, that's these flat and really jagged things. And my bugle tube had picked up a couple of those. And so his very first noise he made was just a light bugle kind of chuckle. And so the first thing I do is pick up my bugle tube and imitate him right back with that chuckle. And in a chuckle, you inhale. Uh, And so I inhaled a sticker right in it, stuck in the back of my throat for that entire time I'm trying to call uh, and got a little concerned about it. 
And I was a little concerned that that thing was going to dislodge and then I'd inhale it further. So I'm actually really thankful that got caught in my throat. Um, not knowing what that would have done, but tried drinking water. I even pulled out a bar to chew that and see if I could get it down. You know, when you got like a fish bone stuck in your throat, it's what it was like. I, I needed to have a bunch of bread and swallow that. And at the end of the evening, I finally was able to take my finger and basically gag myself and get that pulled out and it would have blood on it. And it was lodged in my throat pretty good. Uh, but it just made cow or calling and bugling horrible. But um, we had that big guy and we know it was a big guy because but Danny was across the way watching him. He watched him bed like all afternoon and, and uh, um, he knew we were kind of in there with him somewhere. So he just stayed and watched and uh, he, he bugled and we bugled and it just went back and forth and missed just that early season. He just didn't care enough. Uh, I think he went silent and maybe we walked around him. Uh, I don't think he actually left that draw or he moved down off to just the next draw over but he didn't, the wind was perfect the entire time. So I don't know what happened to him. Uh, the one thing I think that our downfall was is that the terrain made it tough. We kept moving up and moving up and moving up and really being aggressive with that to not in our calling, but being elk and, and not convincing him necessarily to come in, but we were going to come to him a little bit. And we just could not do that. It was all that down timber made it hard to get up there. And we just, you can't keep up with elk. There's no way. Uh, even when they're just kind of walking through up that stuff, they do it effortlessly. And this was, this was very difficult and to get some shooting lanes. So, uh, we felt like we, we played that one pretty well, but it just ended up in not, not being a, a thing. And, and daddy saw it. We'd seen that bull and he was 300 plus pretty easy. He said 300 to 330. Uh, is what that bull was. So he was a, he was a good one. Sounded great. And his antler sounded great hitting branches. That's for sure. Three more encounters we had. This next one was a missed bull. Uh, we uh, located elk. We went to a whole different area. We hiked out and dad and I decided we did our one backcountry hunt and we had our experiences there. They were great, but maybe, and that's where being not in the best shape kind of hurts you. If you want to do backcountry the entire time, you got to really be in shape and maybe a little younger, but, uh, we located elk in this pretty dry, high desert stuff, uh, middle of the day. It was great. It was hot out. And sure enough, we're finding elk at 12 or one o'clock. It's pretty cool. A uh, really great glassing point. And we sat on them all day, counting and finding elk, everyone where we could. Now we decided, and this is a cool spot. We were hundred yards in the truck, drove around on a, on an oil and gas road, got a little closer and dropped down on them. And it's just started calling a little bit. Sure enough, we get a nice bugle response and I just copied him and he ramped, ramped it up. I ramped it up. And sure enough, we kept moving forward and moving forward, learning from our mistake before that we got to keep on them and get closer. And, uh, this time it almost worked too well. Uh, we got too close too quick. And sure enough, he, he came, he crossed this open bottom and was right in dad's lap, uh, 20 some yards away or so. And, uh, it was just dead rushed the shot. It was close. Um, missed it. Uh, it was, it was an opening thing. We had this little opening and, and that, that bull was so focused on me 
that uh, it didn't know dad was there. So that that's was the great thing about that. Dad had that all kinds of time on that, but um, maybe not the opening to to make that happen. So it happens so fast. The decision making during those times is really hard because it's happening so stinking fast. Uh, and that's the video I posted. You can see that on Instagram of after that first shot, you can see a bull kind of making its way through uh, the trees and he's not all startled. So he had one shot and then um, I kind of played cat and mouse with him. He saw me or was looking sort of at me. And that's the time we forgot the stinking decoy. I wish we would remember that decoy and he would have seen something in the trees and I could have maybe brought him back down around to dad, but he uh, stood there. Dad was able to range and, and shoot. And he, so I don't know what happened with that one either, but that one was a miss. So two misses on that bull. He was a little five point bull would have been a great one to take home. Pack out would have been awesome. Uh, but it, just didn't work. And the, and the, and the thing that did work to bring him in though, is just the copying him. And I kept getting, kept closing the distance and then adding raking. And with those younger bulls, it seems like those whiny, whiny cow calls really work well. The next one was in that similar area where it's like, man, there's a lot of elk in here. Uh, and we'd only bumped that one bull. So we thought we were going to be good. We kind of went a couple of ridges over, and we didn't know exactly where the elk were, were but so a calf called slowly down a ridge. So we made our way down and uh, that was kind of mid morning, early mid morning. Uh, and we got some quiet responses. I thought I'd heard something break or step or do something. Uh, and we tried to get the wind right to move in. But as we're doing the our same game plan that we've been doing, uh, the, the wind shifted and that was our one elk that we got winded on. So that ended that pretty quick and off he went, never saw him again, found the, found the tracks kind of moving quick. So we knew that one we had busted. The last encounter we had was a great one too, a really exciting one where, uh, one of our areas that, uh, is still, this is all that open country, um, sat on a ridge and, and waited. I knew that it doesn't look thick, but it is. And I just sat there till the evening and looked and looked and waited and waited just because I knew that bowl was going to have some elk in it. And we, sure enough, there goes a spike. In Colorado, you can't shoot spike. But in that unit, you can't shoot spikes. So we see see that spike. Nope, nothing. Okay. Oh, there's another one making its way up the ridge right at me. Uh, another spike. And then I see another one. So I got at least three spikes. There might have been a fourth one. I'm not sure. Um, the fourth one or a different one had antlers, not much bigger than a spikes, but very clearly had four points. He was pretty barely legal bull, but I said, perfect. That's going to work. So that's when I started calling and we had 20 minutes left of daylight shooting light. If that, and we had to call them uphill, uh, actually across, uh, drainage and then uphill because we weren't getting down to them without being spotted sure enough i let out those real whiny cow calls and those spikes came running uh the spikes first and then the little four point was behind them there somewhere so we're right on a fence line i crossed the fence and uh leave dad on the one side the one spike runs right up to within what dad said was five to eight feet uh it just Stop suddenly, probably got those big buggy eyed looking things and then takes off down the hill, uh, kind of spooking another one. 
but that one kind of came around to me and I got video of that. I think that's on Instagram too, of that spike that I'm playing with. He's just 25 yards away or so, uh, looking around for, for that cow. Uh, but that those spikes are probably what ruined it for the four point. The, the four point wasn't making his way, way in and, uh, or he was in the, he, he, was spooked with the spikes getting spooked. So I think that's kind of what happened there. Great encounter, but uh, not one that resulted in, in anything. So um, the last day that we had, uh, and this was like a nine day hunt or so last day we had was, was uh, no elk. And that's the only day that we didn't have or see elk during the whole trip. So we definitely called this a successful hunt. We, we were uh, um, didn't fill the tag, but it was a an awesome experience, and and we know a lot of people go to Colorado or or go western hunting, and they don't see an elk, they don't hear an elk, but we heard elk almost every day, and we saw elk almost every day, and we had one, two, three, four, five awesome encounters with elk so that was a success for us and we did everything possible to to do that so both of us have gone away with with uh being pretty pretty pleased with the hunt um for for not filling filling tags and and uh i think uh that will be a great end of uh, dad and i's colorado archery elk hunting um i'm sure i'll go back there at some point to do that again uh obviously i got preference points are going to be going back there to do some hunting but that that hunt dad and i's one is is probably done and we'll be focusing on cows in in south dakota because those are easier to draw but so yeah that's our colorado 2023 uh archery elk hunt and uh thanks for listening and hope you picked up a couple of tips and can use some of those in the future as always if you could give me a like and great rating on whatever you're listening to as well as going over to my instagram western hunting hub as well as black hills antlers give those a follow thanks for listening to the land but it ain't my ground this is god's country